Today brings the second week of our new message series for the Easter season. We began last week, Easter Sunday, with the acknowledgement that while the world promotes power, possessions, pleasure, prominence as keys to success and successful living, something in us longs for more. And perhaps one way to talk about that longing, that more, would be significance. Significant as in consequential. Significance comes from contributing to others. That's, that's what we want. That's what we long for. We long for our lives to matter, to matter to our family and friends, to matter to our community. And it is not at all immodest or overstated to acknowledge that we long to contribute more to the wider world. We want this world to be a better place because we've lived in it. We want the people who know us to be better off for having known us. This is why we're moved by stories of people who have made a difference. We hear stories about people who have made a sacrifice for the good of others, and we lean in, we pay attention. Their stories move us because we want to be like them. At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we hope that others can talk about the amazing contribution we've made to their well-being, their experience, their quality of life. Easter Sunday and the entire Easter season celebrates the life of one man who had a great impact, easily the greatest impact for good ever in the whole history of the world. His life mattered so much that 2.2 billion believers around the world celebrate Easter this week, even though he lived over 2,000 years ago in a dusty, remote region of the Roman Empire, largely in obscurity for most all of his life. The Gospels describe Jesus as living a life, dying a death, and rising from the dead as one continuous act of service to the world. Then the Acts of the Apostles describes how the early church continued his work, as we heard in today's first reading. They did all the things that Jesus did. They preached about God's love. They shared God's love. And they created a community that modeled God's love as they loved one another through service. Today, we're looking at how Jesus called the apostles into that life by looking at a passage from the Gospel of John. And to best understand this passage, especially from the apostles' perspective, we have to place it in context. The event takes place on Easter Sunday evening, previously on Holy Thursday evening, just a few days prior, Jesus told the apostles that he was leaving them. And when the apostles heard this, they were understandably surprised and upset. They had left everything to follow the Lord for the previous three years. He had been their leader and their guide, and now he's telling them that he's leaving, and they cannot go where he is going. Now, after this stunning announcement, they see Jesus arrested, tortured, and die on the cross. So after Good Friday, the apostles thought it was over. It was all over. The passage 
we're reading today picks up the story from there. On the evening of that first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Easter Sunday night, the apostles were hiding in fear. Even though the tomb was empty and there were reports that Jesus was alive, the apostles are still in fear for their lives. And they had every good reason to be. The Jewish authorities who had put Jesus to death also wanted to see an end to this community that he had formed. That meant their elimination, or at least exile. So they retreat into hiding. Let's admit it. We can be like that too. We can retreat into fear. We can live our lives in fear. We can fail to act out of fear. Out of fear, our focus can become all about ourselves, our own survival or self-protection or just our own well-being. Out of fear, we can withdraw from others, hide behind the locked doors of our heart. We might fear great big looming threats to our health or our family or our future. Or we might fear even simple threats to our comfort or convenience. These attitudes and actions are entirely understandable but can, over time, hurt our heart. Focused only on ourselves, we diminish our faith. Faith is like a muscle. It grows when we challenge it, when we use it. It atrophies when we don't. When we live our lives focused only on ourselves, for whatever reason, whether for self-protection, self-care, or selfishness, we're definitely headed away from that life of significance we want and God wants for us. The apostles live in the darkness of fear, only focused on themselves, only focused on their survival. The darkness of that evening matches the darkness that covered their hearts and their minds, their thinking and their feeling. And so in the midst of this darkness, Jesus appears bringing light, a simple word of encouragement, peace. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. The Hebrew word he would have used was shalom. This particular word is found throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation 249 times. It's actually a very special and significant word. Shalom implies not only the absence of war, it's a far richer concept or perhaps collection of concepts including the flourishing of people, the bounty of the harvest, the advancement of nations, greeting someone in this way was to wish them only good things, was to wish them all good things. The peace that Jesus offered the apostles doesn't depend on their circumstances. He offers a peace that comes from a right relationship with God, which means he offers a peace the world cannot give and a peace the world cannot take away. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did you do that? To prove to them that he 
is not a ghost. He's real. He's really him. He's really alive. He's really risen from the dead. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He reiterates the offer of peace as if to insist that they accept this new reality, completely reversing the reality they were trapped in just moments earlier. He joins it to a charge, really a command, a command. Now that they have received his shalom, establishing this new reality, he gives them a new identity with new responsibility and new possibilities. Remember, God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to reveal his love. Now Jesus says, I so love the world that I'm sending you. I send you to love and serve others as I have loved and served you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This part is interesting, I think. John's Gospel tells us that the apostles received the Holy Spirit on Easter Sunday, but then we read in Acts of the Apostles that they received the Holy Spirit 50 days later on Pentecost. So, which is it? Well, as we know, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. The gift of the Spirit at Pentecost was an empowering one, as we'll see on Pentecost Sunday. Here on Easter Sunday, Jesus shares a gift of the Holy Spirit that is restorative and renewing in order that they might accept the new reality they find themselves in, in order that they might accept their new role and responsibility. The Holy Spirit gives them the vision to look beyond their fears to the life of significance God was calling them to. And rather like Jesus himself, their significance stands as unlikely as it is monumental. A motley collection of uneducated men, mostly fishermen, with no wealth or social standing, go on to launch a worldwide movement whose preaching and teaching still shape the lives of billions. So significant were their lives that we're talking about them this morning, more than 2,000 years later. So significant were their lives that we name our children and our churches after them. 2,000 years ago, Jesus invited his friends and followers to move beyond mere self-protection, mere self-care to a life of significance. And that invitation, that invitation remains open. He invites us to actively participate in what he is doing in the world right now. He calls us to serve him and his purposes by serving others. That's why one of the steps we talk about all the time is serving in ministry or missions. Ministry is what we call service here in our church family, and mission is how we refer to service beyond our church. It's about accepting the Lord's invitation, recognizing that those words addressed to the apostles, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, are not just words meant 
for the apostles themselves. They're meant for me, and they're meant for you too. He speaks them to us in this Easter season. You know, church in general, and Catholicism in particular, I think, easily lends itself to an unhealthy consumerism. We come to this place, we sit in rows, we listen to music, we listen to a message, we receive communion, and for some, perhaps, nothing is ever different after than before. If it doesn't lead to greater charity, charity that expresses itself in giving and serving, then all of this risks becoming an unhealthy consumer exchange. More than that, until you take up some service in His name, your growth as an individual and as a Christ follower will definitely be inhibited. It will be limited. On the other hand, when you do find a personal ministry, you'll see yourself grow closer to Christ in ways you didn't expect. For instance, serving in a way you never have before, perhaps outside your comfort zone, changes your prayer. Your prayer gets easier, deeper, more real. You start praying for God to show up. Your prayer changes, and your faith does too. Before you start serving, you probably still view yourself as an outsider, only an observer to all of this. Once you're serving on a regular basis, you can feel much more like you're part of the team, God's team. When we step out in faith, it intersects with His faithfulness, and so our trust in God grows too. And serving in ministry sets you up to experience the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power working through you in a way you won't otherwise. You'll find yourself saying, that wasn't me, that was God. So here's the plan. Next weekend, we'll let you know some of the specific opportunities to serve here at Nativity we'll be offering you this spring. We'll be going into some detail about those opportunities, but if you would like a preview, go to our website, churchnativity.com, and then click Serve at Nativity on the homepage. Then, the following week, we're going to host a ministry sign-up all weekend long in which you'll have an opportunity to sign up to serve. I'm going to ask everyone who is a regular here at Nativity who is not currently serving, including our online congregants, to consider serving, to simply consider serving. But right now, I'm asking those of you who are currently serving to help me out, to help me out in the coming weeks by making personal invitations. If you serve in a ministry, could you, could you make an invitation to just two or three people to serve with you in your ministry? Talk to people you see out on the concourse or in your small group, at the grocery store, or on the lacrosse field. At least start the conversation. Let them know what ministry you do and why you do it, why you enjoy it, what you find fulfilling about it. Your personal ask will mean a lot more than my general plea. 
Elsewhere, Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We become more like Christ. We grow to more Christ-like character by being a part of what he's doing in the world, serving alongside him and with him and for him. Yeah, it's work, but it's work that has eternal significance. Hey everyone, thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.